Uh, happy Valentine's week for any and all of you. Hope it's a good week for you. And perhaps this is that moment where some of you go, oh yeah, and so good. We're happy to, happy to do that with you and uh, for you. Love, of course, is a many splendored thing. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. But it should come with a warning label. It, it should clearly come for all of us that says you are going to get hurt. Yes, it's a beautiful thing, but you are going to get hurt. Uh, good morning once again. My name is Alan, uh, and this morning we're talking about warnings. Are warnings a good thing or not so good thing? When you think about warnings, does that kind of go into the good category or the less good category? When you get in your car and you're just driving a few houses down, you're just going around the block or whatever, and you decide not to put your seatbelt on because you're an adult and you can do that if you want, but your car doesn't know how far you're going, and your car gives you the, gives you the warning sign. Boom, boom, and then it speeds up. Boom, 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 boom. Letting you know that you haven't put your seatbelt on. Is that a sound that you are thankful for? Or a sound that you are less or the opposite of thankful for? My daughter has decided on her own that when that sound happens, whenever I'm in the car, I think it's because she cares about me. But when that sound happens, she has given herself permission to, to say dad repeatedly at the rhythm of the, of the car. And so she'll be in the back seat going, dad, 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 kind of in rhythm with the bong. Is that annoying? Or is that a sweet, wonderful reminder warning from my daughter in the back? I have my opinion. You have your opinion, perhaps. Is a warning a good thing? Or a less good thing. Remember watching live TV? <laughs> we used to watch live TV, and we still do with sports and such. But then there's the band that would come across the bottom. <laughs> thunderstorm warning. How helpful was that? While you're watching TV, I don't care about a thunderstorm. I'm watching TV. I'm in the safety of the home. Is that something you love? Less love? Or what about when you see a pack of cigarettes or a vape cartridge that has the warning from the Surgeon General, him or herself, does that warning have any effect on your response to said pack of cigarettes or vape cartridge? Does it have any, any effect, any shape on any of that? Is a warning a good thing or a bad thing? My hope by the end of our, our time here today is that we would see that there is something great about warnings. As annoying as they can be at times, boom, 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 there is something good about warnings. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you um, that we get to be here with one another. We get to be here with you. And we want to hear from you, God, today. Sometimes the message is, is not the most pleasant thing for us to hear. Sometimes we read scripture and it's not the most pleasant thing for us to read, but, but it's a message from you. And so if you want to speak to us along the lines of warnings here today in this place, we want to hear from you, God. Help us to be open to what you have, we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, last week, I started a, a new series. I was a little bit ill last week, almost miserable. Uh, I still have a little tickle in my throat, so I'm trying to avoid coughing into the microphone. I'll do my best, but I'm not miserable, so that's good. We're, we're, we're above miserable. I like to start days not miserable, so, so we're doing that uh, so fortunately here today. But last week, I, I started this series, Tough 
love. And the reason it's called tough love is that as we look at the growth and development of the nation of Israel, we are looking at a period in their history, in the Old Testament, a significant chunk of the, of the Israel period when they were essentially acting like teenagers in need of tough love from their father in heaven. The story we looked at last week was the, the kings after King David and King Solomon. So the nation of Israel had done quite well under the mighty kings, uh, David and Solomon. They were powerful. They were prosperous. But then after that, the kings became rather ignorant and, uh, and selfish. And, uh, and so this became a difficult season. They were acting like teenagers. As we looked at last week, essentially, they were not interested in the wisdom of the elders around them. And they basically said, we know better and we're going to do our own thing. And that was the story that we looked at, uh, at, at last week. Is the, these, the growth and development of the nation of Israel, they're acting like teenagers. Now the subtitle, The Greatest Bible Story You've Never Heard Of, refers to the fact that, that the grand story we're looking at in the Old Testament is a huge part of the story. Over 30% of the whole Bible is about this story that we're looking at. It covers nearly a thousand years, and what's so fascinating about it is that it's a story many, if not most of us, are largely unfamiliar with. This, this key story in the Bible, it's great, not because it's wonderful, it's actually a tragic story, but it's great because it's so huge, and it is imperative for us to understand this story for, so that we can understand more of the gift of Scripture that God has given us. And so the story that we're looking at is the story of the exile. Even that word may or may not connect with you, but essentially, it's the story of the Assyrians coming and taking over the northern kingdom, and then a little over 100 years later, the Babylonians coming and taking over the southern kingdom and kicking the people of God out of the land that God gave them, the promised land, kicking them out of that land. They were warned it was going to happen. They didn't listen, and they got kicked out of the land. Now that action from God, God's the one who gave the warnings, God's the one who followed through on it, these are the actions of, of, a, of a loving parent, of a parent showing tough love. These aren't the actions of a vengeful God who is trying to squish or hurt his own people. We have to understand this. This is a loving God showing tough love to his kids who were acting like teenagers. This is good parenting. That, that in life, when we give powerful things to our kids, that they're going to come with a warning. We're not just going to dump them on them. At some point, we say to our kids, here is a bicycle. It is going to make your world bigger. But there's a warning that comes with it. When you are riding this bicycle and you are on the street or you are crossing streets, you are no match for any car. Don't try to outrun them. Don't try to skip past them. Be careful with any car. One mistake and you're out. You are no match for any car, even a Fiat. I know they look manageable, but you cannot take them out. This is a loving warning. Here's a phone. At whatever age we decide to do that, here's a phone. This will make your world much bigger. It'll make your virtual world virtually enormous, all right? Here's this incredible phone, but it comes with a warning. 
that there will be limitations that we will put on the use of that phone, on the different apps that will be on that phone, on the amount of time that you can be on that phone. We want to remind you, as we give you this phone, it's not your phone. We are lending it to you. It's my phone, and I can take it back at any time. This is a powerful thing that, I'm, that we're providing for you. We want you to enjoy it. It's a powerful thing, but it must come with a warning. That's good parenting. And then at some point, it's here are the keys to the car. Talk about, you know, your world is going to get much bigger. Your physical world, the places that you can, oh, the places that you can go when you have the car. But it has to come with a warning. A reminder that the number one killer of kids age 16 to 18 in our country is car accidents. The number one killer. Yes, it's great. It's a powerful thing. We want you to have it. We want you to enjoy it. But it must come with a warning. That's good parenting. We give powerful things the older kids get. We give them more powerful things. But they're connected with a warning because we care about them. This is essentially the the story of a group of people in the Old Testament that are known as the prophets. The role of the prophet was to transfer a warning to God. There are two main characters, spiritual characters, in the Old Testament story. There are priests and prophets. Priests spoke to God on behalf of the people. So the priest would, would offer sacrifices and, and go for the forgiveness of sins to God on behalf of people. The prophet spoke to people on behalf of God. And so there were two different roles, and they, and they, were, they kind of spoke one direction. The prophet talked to the people on behalf of God. And, and the, the prophet, there are many gems within the prophet's uh, prof prophetic books of the Old Testament. Some of them are terrific. Uh, uh, DeAndre uh, just quoted through a, a great section in Ezekiel, and there are terrific gems. But there's a reason that the many chapters of the prophets in the Old Testament are more difficult to read. There's a reason uh, for that. To just hear, you know, warning after warning after warning is a difficult read. Take, for example, Jeremiah. What do we know about Jeremiah? We all know he's a bullfrog, but beyond that, what do we know about the prophet? And so Jeremiah, uh, we might be familiar with chapter 29, verse 11, one of the greatest verses. It is a gem in scripture, absolutely. But do you know how many chapters there are in the book of Jeremiah? 52. What about the other 51 chapters? Do you know, can you summarize, can you talk about right now the story of Jeremiah, the message of Jeremiah? Or what about other prophets like Zephaniah? Did you know he was in the Bible? Zechariah. When you get to heaven and you get to meet up with some of these guys, writers of the Bible, all right? There's going to be Peter and Paul and there's going to be writers of the Bible. If these guys come up to you and say, so what would you think of my book? How are you going to respond? You want to avoid the awkwardness of that moment. Let me tell you, even if you're familiar with these books, it, my guess is it's still going to be an awkward exchange because the prophets from the Old Testament are consistently odd dudes. They, they, and again, this is part of the reason 
that we have a difficult time connecting with some of the prophetic writings. When we read something, we want to connect with the writer. We want to kind of understand and connect with them. But these prophets, they were some weird dudes. Isaiah, uh, in order to make a point as part of his journey, we've heard of the prophet Isaiah. At one point, he is naked for three years in order to make his point. That wouldn't work out here. I would lose my job, I'd get arrested. I mean, it would be a huge problem. Three years. Ezekiel, at one point, had to lay on his side for over a year in order to make his point. Bed sores. Talk about bed sores. And then he had to flip over to the other side and lay a much less uh, amount of time, but still had to kind of lay for days on his other side. Ezekiel was also in the same chapter, in the same part of the story. He was told by God that he needed to eat food cooked over human excrement. weird, huh? Now he negotiated with God, and God said, okay, how about cow excrement? So he had to do it with cow excrement. Read it. You you won't want to miss it. I mean, it's just great stuff. Hosea is a prophet. It's one of the minor prophets. We have major prophets and minor prophets. It's not like they're the good ones and not good ones. It's really just major prophets are the longer prophetic books, and minor prophets are the shorter prophetic books. Hosea was one of the shorter prophetic books. And he had to marry an unfaithful prostitute in order to make a point. Not just a metaphor, not just a story. He had to marry an unfaithful prostitute because God had a message that he wanted to give through the prophet Hosea. These these guys had had a difficult life. These were some odd dudes. These are not the people that you invite to a lot of parties. And so as a result, there's a lot of the prophetic writings that are a little tricky for us to read. There are beautiful gems in there, and there are parts of it that are difficult to read. I'm not saying don't read them. What I'm saying is that the only way we can understand what they were doing and, and why they just kept on warning, 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 is if we understand this greatest story that we've never heard of, this story of the exile. It's such a key part of the Old Testament journey, such a central part of why the the prophetic writings were there in the first place. When you're aware of the story of the exile, you will see it show up multiple times throughout Scripture, even in the New Testament, but a whole lot in the Old Testament. It isn't just one little thing that's sneaky in there. You will see it show up multiple times. I want to take a look at one of many sections that talks about this story. 2 Kings chapter 17. If you brought your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn there with me. 2 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 21. The story goes, when he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made Jeroboam, son of Nabat, their king. This is the story we looked at last week. From First Kings, Jeroboam was the was the one who was you know first letter J is just a um, just an advisor to the king. Rehoboam was the real son of Solomon, and Jeroboam was just an advisor. And these two could not get along, and they they divided the kingdom into the north and the south. Jeroboam was king in the north. Rehoboam was king of the south. And uh, what we looked at was that division, internal division, happens before the fall. And so that, that's, that the whole story gets started with these two not getting along and the nation of Israel divides into the north and the south. Jeroboam enticed Israel 
away from following the Lord and caused them to commit a great sin. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and did not turn away from them. 2 Kings chapter 17 is 200 years after the story of Rehoboam and Jeroboam that we looked at in 1 Kings. It's king after king, generation after generation of unfaithful leaders and unfaithful people in the north and in the south. Generation after generation for 200 years. Did not turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence as he had warned through all his servants, the prophets. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and they are still there. This is one of many references to this story. This is the story of the exile of the northern kingdom where Jeroboam was first king. They were taken over by the Assyrians, exiled, kicked out of the promised land, and sent to Assyria. A little over 100 years after that, the Babylonians came and they took out the southern kingdom. It's referred to as Judah. And so this is, this is a, a one part of this grand story, this greatest story you've never heard of, of the exile where both the north and the south are kicked out of the promised land that God provided for them. And what is central to these stories is the message of the prophets. The prophets are speaking throughout this whole story before and, and in between the north and the south. And afterwards, these prophets are speaking and speaking and speaking. Warning after warning after warning. It's important to understand that a prophet is not a seer of the future. Sometimes we understand, you know, from other TV shows and movies that a prophet is, is the one who kind of gets glossy-eyed and can see the future, that kind of thing. That, that periodically happens in Scripture that a prophet will actually see a vision for the future. But for the most part, prophets don't see the future. They see the present. They see what is going on that others are not able to see. And they, they can see where this is going to go. So the warning comes in to saying, this is what's going on. This is what we're doing. If we don't change, if you don't change your ways, things are going to go poorly. The prophet doesn't see the future so much as the prophet sees the world around us right now that the rest of us don't want to see. The prophet sees what the rest of us don't want to see. And it's a difficult job, a very difficult job. This is why they're so odd. This is why they don't get invited to parties. It was a hard job for them to see and talk about things we don't want to talk about. The prophet, in a sense, if you think of the kind of the teenage journey, the prophet is the sober person at a high school kegger. You might want to think of it that way. You've got teenagers running around, having a great old time, and there's, there's the prophet who sees and is aware of things that the rest of the kids are not aware of. It's the prophet who says, you can't drink anymore. You need to stop drinking. You're going to have alcohol poisoning. We're going to have to take you to the hospital. Stop it. Oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. It's the prophet, the sober one at the party, who says, you can't drive. I'm fine. I'll be fine. No, there's no way you can drive. And then there's a fight that ensues. And that's why people don't like the prophet. They don't like the sober one at the party. Because they see what others are not seeing. And it's difficult for all around, but they carry the truth. Many of us, we like to go visit 
beautiful resorts around the world. And there are many resorts on beaches around the world that are in very poor countries. And you can be on the beach at, an, at a multi-million dollar beautiful facility and just a block inland will be some of the poorest people in the world. Sometimes the resorts will send shuttles to pick tourists up from the airport. And those shuttles have blackened windows or heavily, you know, darkly shaded windows because they know tourists who fly into those countries don't want to see that poverty on the way to the resort. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see shacks of poor people living with tin roofs and, and cardboard and just jammed together one at a time uh, on, on, on the side of the road. I don't want to see that when I'm heading to my vacation at the resort. There's stuff that prophets see that we don't want to see. We say, I don't want to see starving children on TV. I don't want to see those commercials. I don't, I don't want to see the millions of Syrian refugees who are pouring into the country of Lebanon, a country that cannot handle them anymore. I don't want to see images of these refugee camps and just building and piling up and piling up of these families that were successful in Syria who are now living as impoverished people in Lebanon. I don't want to see that. It's not my fault, so it's not my problem. I don't want to see these things. I like living in my world with so many beautiful things to just so that I can look around at my world and say everything's just fine. Everything's just fine in my world. I don't, I don't even want to see the homeless person on the corner of the road as, we, as I get onto to I-10 and I'm going through the exit there. I don't want to see the homeless person with the cardboard sheet in front of them. I don't want to see that. But the prophet has the incredibly difficult job of seeing what most of us don't want to see. He is the voice of God reminding us that there's a world out there that we may not want to see, but that God wants to remind us of. As we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we, we tend to hear more and more the unwelcomed voice of the prophet. More and more, we hear the voice and are reminded that the world around us is not fine. Everything is not fine. And you and I are not fine. It's a warning. It's a message that we don't want to hear sometimes. So, in this journey, in this story, the growth and development of the nation of Israel, God provided them and provides us with clarity in terms of how we are to live life. God provided a pathway. It started with the children of God, and God, started, God had to start somewhere, so we started with rules and laws and the Ten Commandments and said, here's kind of this, this, this kernel of idea in terms of how we are to love God and how we are to love others, and this is reinforced throughout the journey, and God provides a pathway for us in terms of how we are to live life. And the warnings come when we stray from that pathway. God provides a pathway in the story. 
And that pathway is reinforced by the prophets. The prophets don't just come in and lay the hammer down. In the prophets, some of the most beautiful parts of the prophets are the reminders from the prophets of the pathway that God has laid out. It's part of the warning process. Remember the pathway. Remember the journey. This is how God wants us to live life. If we look at one of the prophets, Micah, for example, who was also a weird dude. There are parts of his of his stuff that are just a little bit odd, a little bit weird to listen to. But there's also some beautiful stuff like Micah 6, 8. Micah 6, chapter 8 is a reminder from this prophet of the pathway of God. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? He, he has shown you this pathway. In the midst of the warnings, there's, there's this reminder of the pathway of God. We try to follow the pathway of God here at Mountain Park. And we have what we call, what we call the three makas. And it's our kind of grid in terms of what we do around here and why we do it. It's our strategy piece, and you may be familiar with parts of it. It's three makas. Make a memory, make a friend, make a difference. The first one, make a memory, is really about me. It's about making a memory with God that we, we surrender our lives to God, we get baptized, we have moments in, in a large group, in a small group, in a personal connection with God. We have moments where we say, we say, I am transformed by the power of God in my life. And we make those great memories with God. At one point, Jesus, when he takes the bread and the cup, he says, do this in remembrance of me that we are to make, make memories with God and to continue to celebrate those memories. That's part of our relationship with God. And we also wanna make friends. This is about us. This is just the reminder and the reality that we are not meant to do this alone. We get to have each other. And not only do I want to have great friends, I want to be a great friend. So part of this make a friend thing is that I want to make them and I want to be one who is great. And then finally, make a difference. We have that area in the lobby that just says make a difference there, and that's what it's all about. This is about them, that you and I have been given much by our creator in terms of abilities and resources, and we get to use that to make a difference in the lives of others around the world. This is our language for the pathway that God has provided for us, and it's not a brand new pathway. It's, it's essentially the same thing that Micah talked about in chapter 6, verse, verse 8. It's, a, it's basically the same idea. It's just kind of the flipped order of the three things that Micah talked about. So Micah first, he says, act justly. He has shown you what is good and what does the Lord, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. This is about them. Essentially, this, this is... This is the message of the prophet to say, you know, you get bent out of shape about stuff. When, when you are treated unjustly, you get a ticket you, you should not have gotten. Somebody cuts you off. When we get treated unjustly, we naturally respond, we get bent out of shape. But what this warning is, what this idea is, this pathway of God is to be mindful of them. In what ways do you get bent out of shape when someone else is acted upon unjustly. That's the challenge. In what way do we get bent out of shape because someone else in another part of the city, in another part of the world, 
was acted upon unjustly. We act justly, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of others. Secondly, Michael says, love mercy. This is about us. This is about how we interact with one another. We love to receive the love and mercy from other people and the forgiveness of other people. Absolutely. That's a part of, of, of relationships and friendships and marriages continuing to grow and move forward. But are we willing to pass that love and that mercy on to others just as much? Love, mercy. Not just receiving it, but giving it as well. And then, finally, Micah says to walk humbly. And I think this is connected to to our first Micah. This is about me. This is about me and my relationship with God. That, that whatever happens in the day, however God uses me, however, however much I have tripped up, whatever happens, that I come before my God and I make another memory with him by walking humbly, by not thinking of myself more highly than I am, by never viewing myself as more important or better than anybody else. We do that in our relationship with God by walking humbly. It's the same stuff. It's the same, go to any church, you know, around here, they're gonna break down, here's what we're doing. It's the same stuff, it's the same pathway that God has provided for us. Different words, different language. It's this journey that God has put us on, inviting us to be faithful. And there's a warning that if we stray from it, if we ignore it, things won't go well. For the teenage Israelites, there was a warning, if you did not Pay attention to this stuff. You will get kicked out of the promised land. For us, if we ignore this stuff, if we don't pay attention to this stuff, things will not go well in our relationships. Things will not go well in our family. They will not go well for our future. So the question I asked at the beginning, is a warning a good thing or not? And I, I strongly believe, as, as uncomfortable as warnings are for us, in so many cases, so many situations, Bong, 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 annoying as they might be. A warning is a beautiful thing. Because a warning means it's not too late. A warning has grace all over it because there is an opportunity to change, to make a change in our lives, to make a change in our priorities. The warnings from the prophets, they came before the exile. And so there was an opportunity for the people of God to change. They didn't, but there was an opportunity to change. It's not too late. We, that's why warnings are a good thing. As uncomfortable as we are with them sometimes, they're a good thing. So, do you have any warning lights going off in your life right now? Do you have any bong sounds or flashing lights happening in your life right now. Some view it as the conscience, you know, the whisper, the conscience. Others view it as the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Do you have any warning lights going on in your life right now? Messages that are just saying, don't do it. Don't take that next step. Don't take that job. You know what that's going to mean to for you and your time and your integrity and your family. Don't call that person. Don't contact that person in any way. 
don't start that hobby. Don't download that app. Those are warnings. That, that's, that's not, that's not the, that, the finger judgment hand of God squishing down your joy. That's a loving warning from a loving parent who needs to give tough love to his kids. Anytime there's a part of your life that you don't have control over, that's a warning. It could be a person who just seems to have control over you. It could be a substance that you want to break free from, but you can't. It can be a gadget. It can be a, a, a something that is pleasurable in your life. And, and there could be nothing wrong with it other than the fact that it has control over you. You either can't stop or you need it. That's a warning light. Do you have any warning lights going off in your life right now? Any lights that are flashing? that perhaps you just keep on driving and ignoring. Israelites had flashing lights from multiple different prophets, and they just ignored all the lights and kept driving right into exile. This, this is my message today. This is a copy of my message. It's a, it's a summary of, it's what you just heard. It, it just, just, first of all, this is evidence that I don't make it up as I go along. I actually kind of read, you know. But the, the message this morning is a summary of the greatest story you've never heard, the greatest biblical story you've never heard of. The story in the Old Testament of the exile, of the message of the prophets warning God's people with tough love that can be annoying and we sometimes don't want to hear it. Just this warning that if we don't line up with the pathway God has provided for us, things are not going to go well. We are going to get kicked out of the promised land. And this is a message not just of a story 3,000 years ago. This is a message about the warning lights that are happening in our lives right now. Warning lights, things that are flashing on your dashboard right now. And what are we going to do about it? Are we going to be angry? Are we going to yell at it? Are we going to learn to ignore it? Now, you have a choice in terms of what to do with this message. I was going to tear it up, but I thought some of you might think I was being political. So I'm not going to do that because I'm not being political. So I'll just set it down. You have a choice of virtually tearing it up. You have a choice of just saying, I'm not interested in that message. I'm not interested in the warnings. That's what the teenage Israelites did. I don't want to hear it. I'm not interested. And these prophets were treated terribly. You, we have a choice of just saying, I'm not interested in that message. Either I don't trust that process or I, I have too much weight on the thing you're warning me against. I have too much interest in the thing you're warning me against. Or we can say, Thank you, God, for the warnings, for the message from the prophets that maybe we're not all that familiar with or we can struggle reading or whatever, but thank you, God, for the ongoing warnings that you gave your people time after time after time. God, thank you that the warnings come as an indicator that it's not too late. 
Whatever warning light is going on in your life, if there's a warning light, it's not too late. And there's an opportunity for us to change, to make growth decisions that are in line with the pathway God has provided for us. A warning light is a good thing because it means it's not too late. Would you bow your heads with me? I'll pray with you and then we'll dismiss. Father God, I thank you that you love us unconditionally. That you love us with tough love. You are not a wimpy father. You are you, you are bold enough to come and have the conversations with us that maybe we don't want to hear to give us a warning about areas in our lives because you love us, not because you're trying to, to, to hold us down, God. So I pray that for any warning light that is flashing on any dash here in this room, God, that we would pay attention, that we would not follow the path of the teenage Israelites, that we would not just say, hey, I got it from here, I know better, I know better but that we would listen to the wisdom of the prophets, listen to the, the beautiful power of the Holy Spirit speaking in our lives, challenging us in areas because you love us, God. Help us to respond well. Help us to experience the, the change that you want in our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Folks, we have a prayer team that would... Love to pray with you about any warning lights, anything going on in your life. They're going to gather up front. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.